What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Mike, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. And first of all, sorry we had to skip a week. We were dealing with some non-COVID illnesses, thankfully, but we were just not in condition to give you the best version of this product. But we're back. We're ready to put another episode out, and we got something huge to talk about, the Atlanta Braves. And it's only right to let my man Dave go ahead and spit his stuff right now. So Dave, floor is yours. What's up? First of all, what's up, everybody? Uh, Sorry, I was, you know, I was sick. But we're back now, and all I got to say is, let's freaking go! Finally, I have been an Atlanta Braves fan literally my entire life. The last time we had won was when I was a baby, and I watched my team against all the odds against all these freaking analysts and the media who were like, no, the Braves are going to lose to this team. They're going to lose to this team. They're going to lose to the Brewers. They're going to lose to the Dodgers. They're going to lose to the Astros. Well, guess what? We did it. I just, well, I am partly just relieved because it's like, finally, I was not disappointed uh, by my team because that has literally just been every single year. I've just been disappointed. Um, whether that's because they were just legitimately terrible or they just didn't come through in the clutch. But this team, it was just a different team, you know, from the guys who've been there, like Brian Snitker, Freddie Freeman, to the new guys like Jorge Soler, World Series MVP, Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP, Jock Peterson with the pearls and the swag. Like, these guys all made such a huge difference. And... I'm just so proud of that team, of the coaching staff, of the organization for, you know, taking a chance um, on a team that was underperforming most of the year. They all pulled together, uh, got hot at the right time, and that's that's what counts, you know. It's not about, um, you know, the first part of the season. If you're just trying to figure things out, that's all good. But when you're good at the end, then that's all that matters, and you know, Braves are World Series champions. I couldn't be more excited. Um, and, you know, can, you know, I'm just really happy for, obviously for myself, but also for all, you know, my dad, my dad and I have watched Braves games together. I mean, I don't even know how many hours we've spent on the couch watching Braves games. Um, so that was a really special moment for us. And, you know, so many of my friends and family uh, what this means to them too, because you know a, a lot of my friends, it's the same thing. This is the first championship that that they've had, so um, just really excited and and just really happy that this finally happened. And um, you know, Atlanta Hawks, you're up next. Fal- <laughs> Falcons, um, maybe maybe in a few years, you never know. But um, yeah, just really happy for the city of Atlanta. And you know, let's get them next year couple things. Number one, I hope the Hawks can, uh, can be next and, and soon the Hawks, the Hawks are my team above all other teams in all of sports. So 
as hype as you are about the Braves, as how hype I would be about the Hawks, it would be unparalleled in terms of seeing a championship. So, yeah, let's let's bring it on. Let's manifest that. And we were close last year, so let's do that. Um, Jock Peterson, a great article that he uh, contributed to the Players' Tribune. If you haven't uh, read that already, we're going to go ahead and post a link to that on our page so that you can go check it out. But the main point I want to bring from that is that he was initially disappointed when he was traded to the Braves because the Braves were like, what were they one game below 500 or above 500? They were, I think they were below 500 at that time. Okay. So they're below 500 at the time they trade for Jock Peterson. And he was like, Oh great. Like I'm getting tr- this random team thinks they have a chance. And so they're like ma- weirdly making this move. The Braves bet on themselves and it paid off. And all it took was like, all it took, but all it took was getting a bunch of guys together to work for a common goal and believe in themselves harder than anyone else will. And they were able to come together and will themselves to victory. Um, incredible for performances. Man, Eddie Rosario is sticking out to me above everyone else. I know that Soler got World Series MVP, but um, aside from Freddie Freeman finally winning one, Rosario's performance in the NLCS is what's going to stand out in my memory from this uh, postseason. But I mean, he—I'll be honest. Like, I'm just—I'm just going to—I'm just going to say he literally had the most hits in any postseason series of anyone ever in the history of the major leagues. Yeah, incredible one for the ages for sure. And you know why not? Like, why can't we do it again? There's literally nothing to suggest that we can't just come back and win. Like I mean, we didn't even have freaking Acuna, who's a top yeah. three, probably in my in my book, like a top three player in the sport. We lose him in July. You know, m- shout out to my guy, Mike Soroka, who retore his Achilles this year. He was supposed to be, you know, our ace probably of the pitching staff, uh, or at least one of them. Um, we, we didn't have him either. You know, it was just, I I really thought that after Acuna got injured, that that was going to be it for, for the Braves for 2021. But, you know, they proved me wrong, and I, I've never been happier in my life to have been proven wrong. And then we get to the World Series. To add to injuries, Charlie Morton goes down game one. And, I mean, I'll defer to your knowledge when, like, you know more about baseball than I ever will. But Tyler Matzik coming Bruh. in, that dude was a straight up baller bruh he came in like when first of all in the um against the dodgers when he came in i think it was like bases loaded like nobody out like second and third and nobody out he just comes in and strikes out the side like no problem just blows them all away and the fact that that dude wasn't even pitching in the major leagues like two years ago it's just absolutely ridiculous there's the story of all these guys coming together on the Braves like he his story is arguably the best out of any of them um yeah I mean he was so clutch over and over and over again and they called on him so many times to pitch as well like he just kept going out there and delivering performance after performance um and it it, it ended up being like him and freaking Will Smith who the entire year was just like you never know what you're gonna get with this guy 
He's going to give you a heart attack every, you know, every time he comes up to pitch, but he was lights out too. Like that big contract that we gave him a couple years ago, like that ended up paying off in such a big way. Uh, it was just, I mean, I, it's still like, I feel like hasn't completely sunk in yet for me. I think maybe next year <clears throat> when we're like the reigning champions, maybe that's when it'll set in. Cause I just feel like for so long, I was just not expecting it this to ever happen. You know, maybe it, <clears throat> some people think that's hyperbole, but like, seriously, I'd never seen it happen. So what, who was to say that it was ever going to happen, especially for the city of Atlanta, but it did. And, you know, seeing the support too, like the battery and just, you know, on TV, like even everybody on TV was just like in awe of the support of everybody in Braves country coming out and, and, you know, hours and hours and hours before the game, just like thousands of people packed into the battery. Um, it was just super awesome to see. And I mean, also I literally live like 10 minutes from the stadium. It was just so cool that like something so close to me, like obviously to my heart, um, but also just like geographically speaking that like history is being made right there. And, um, I don't know. It was just a, like a, a really cool experience for me to watch. You know, Mike and I got to watch, um, an NLCS game. The, actually the, the game where we beat the Dodgers and moved to the world series, we got to watch that one together and that was really cool too. So yeah, it was just, you know, that's the, that's the top, you know, we did a, 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 a top five segment, um, of our best sports moments ever. Like the Braves winning the world series that just became number one. You know, since you mentioned like the battery and the fans, that's a, one of the really cool things about sports, like sports are fun to debate and, and they create separation in, in a not so serious way. Like, because everyone has their teams and they want to like argue out whose team is best and so on and so forth. But they also have this incredible power to unite. And when you see a, a city like Atlanta, that my goodness needed a championship. And, and neither of us are Georgia fans. But you know that there are so many UGA fans that are Braves fans that can be included in that group of like, well, they hadn't had a championship to, since 1980. Like, this is a a city starving for a championship, and to see all these people that don't even know each other like come together as a city rooting for one team, going for one common objective, it's beautiful. And I'll also say, like, you said this before in a past conversation, but like, the way we won was, you know, we had in the last game of the World Series, we had the lead and all we had to do was not blow it as opposed to, you know, having to hit a homer late in the game or something. I think there was just that leftover trauma from the Falcons Super Bowl collapse where we're just sitting there like, I know that we're winning, but my goodness, please let me see this end so that I, so that I know that we didn't blow it again. Yeah, well, even when Duvall hit that grand slam in the first inning uh, of Game 5 in Atlanta, and we were up 4 nothing in the first inning, and then we ended up blowing that game, that was all I needed to see of just to confirm that fear. But the fact that, you know, even though we blew that 
that game in Atlanta, game five, we just went back to Houston, took care of business, blew them out seven to nothing and won the world series. Like that just, that's not what we've seen from Atlanta. And I loved this thing too. And this is the last thing that we'll say uh, before we get into our main segment is we had this like hashtag kill the narrative that was going around. And I just love that so much because as Atlanta fans, and whether you're an Atlanta fan or not, you, you, I'm sure you were aware of this narrative that the Atlanta teams are always going to choke. They're always going to let their fans down. They, they don't have what it takes to close out um, and be clutch. Uh, but Freddie Freeman said um, in an interview like earlier in the, in the postseason, you know, we're here to like kill that narrative. And they did. And that's just such a relief. I'm sure for the players, but also for us fans that like, okay, they can do it. They can close out games. They can be clutch when it counts. And that's just really encouraging for the future too, to think that like maybe this curse or whatever is finally broken. And, um, you know, this won't be the last championship that is brought to Atlanta in the, in the next few years. It would certainly be amazing to see this as like opening the floodgates for Atlanta championships. And I'm hoping that's the case, but that's, that's all we're going to say, but it's so great to be able to take a second to talk about a championship in Atlanta. Like just can't soak that in enough, but just to take a second to introduce our, our big segment for the episode. We've actually had a couple people reach out to us and ask if we're going to do this. And we are. We are revisiting our preseason NFL tier list. We're going to see how we did, and we're going to make our predictions or talk about our expect our expectations for all 32 teams going from the midpoint on in the going from the midpoint of the season all the way on to the Super Bowl. All right, so the way this is going to work is we're going to start at number 32, uh, which is obviously going to be the no shots. Just as a, as a refresher, the five different categories are no shots, long shots, Super Bowl hopefuls, Super Bowl contenders, and Super Bowl favorites. Uh, so we're going to start from number 32 and go in order, and we'll let you know um, which teams went up, went down, or are the same as our preseason tier list. Uh, keep in mind that when we created this, we did not look at the preseason tier list. So this is actually an accurate representation was not um, influenced by our preseason ones. So, and just believe us when we say that um, we wouldn't just make that up. So, and and don't get this confused. This isn't the same as like looking up the power rankings. This is based on our expectations for how the team will perform going forward. Right. So it's not like in week 10, this is where each team stands. It's looking ahead, like which teams actually have a chance of winning the Super Bowl this year, not just like how are they in the middle of the season uh, going into like next week or whatever. And one more point of clarification. So when we're recording this, um, week nine has concluded um, of NFL action. 
if you're listening to this on Monday, November 15th, then we have not, we're recording this before all the games on the 14th happened, if that makes sense. So all of our information and, and tier lists and everything is, are based on everything that happened before that, uh, just to clarify. So Mike, um, go ahead and start off with number 32, who we got. At number 32, we have the Houston Texans. This is exactly where we had them when we did the preseason tier list. They still look like the worst team in football. And just to jump ahead of something real quick, the Texans are 1-8. and eight. The Lions, I know they haven't won a game, but even in their losses, they still somehow look a little more convincing than Houston. Houston, Houston is convincing. They're convincingly bad. And so we have them at the very bottom of our tier list again. Yeah, and the Lions have at least had some competitive games. I mean, they would have beaten the Ravens, who are one of the, you know, definitely our top teams uh, in this tier list, if Justin Tucker hadn't hit the longest field goal ever hit in an NFL game. And they've looked terrible at times, and they've looked decent at times, but they just haven't been able to get that first victory. The Texans won in week one and have lost every game since. I don't see that really changing. Um, they, I mean, they traded Mark Ingram away too to the Saints. They just don't really care at this point. Brandon Cooks, their best receiver, is going on social media, isn't happy about the situation. It's just all a shit show. And the Texans boast or are ashamed to have, maybe we should say, the worst point differential in the entire NFL 20 points worse than that of the Lions, just to give you an idea of how badly they're being outscored. Yeah, so Texans at 32, Lions at 31, and at number 30, it's the Jets. All three of these are the same as our preseason tier list as well. Um, Jets have, I mean, maybe they've actually won, I mean, they've won two games that, might actually have been more than I would have thought. <laughs> um, but still, they look terrible. Zach Wilson has looked arguably the worst out of any of the rookie quarterbacks. To be fair, he's on the Jets, so it makes sense. But Mike White was a sur- fun surprise. And Josh Johnson, who who knew he was still in the NFL, didn't play horribly as their quarterback. But, you know, it's the Jets. Um they just find ways to lose games. That's what they do. It's why they're so far on the bottom of our tier list. And hey, at number 29, the Jaguars. Another one that's the same as our first time. So in our opinion, in the preseason when we did this, we got the bottom four correct in order. I mean, we had our hot seat featuring Urban Meyer a few episodes back. He's not leading them to on-the-field success. And so at the bottom, towards the bottom of our tier list, we have the Jags. Yeah, and I, I will say, yes, they did beat the Bills, but that was a fluke game. Um, I don't really take anything from that other than the Bills just looked completely out of sync. I don't expect that to continue, and I expect the Jags to uh, go back to losing almost every game that they play. It's just dysfunctional there. And um, I wouldn't just put too much stock in that victory for them, to be honest. At 28, 
we have our first change in ranking. We're going with the Washington football team. Now, the first time we did this, we had them at number 22, so they've dropped six spots for us. They've just looked uninspired. Nothing really to write home about. Yeah, I mean, they lost Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think that's in the first game. And Taylor Heineke's come in. He's done about as well as you would have expected, which is not that well. Um, but Antonio Gibson's been dealing with a you know a stress fracture in his shin all season, so he's been limited. Their defense has been absolutely abysmal. Uh, everybody expected, including us, their their defense to be the reason why they would potentially hang around and potentially be a contender in the NFC East, but. Instead, their defense has been one of the worst in the NFL, uh, arguably the most underperforming unit in football, offensive, defensive, or special teams. It's been dreadful, uh, both against the run, against the pass, you name it, they're getting carved up, um, and it doesn't look like anything's going to change for the rest of the season for the Washington football team. They sit at the bottom of their division which is pretty bad when you're in the NFC East. Yeah, they we literally call it the NFC least. And to be at the bottom of that is just it's just sad. Now, speaking of sad, it's time to talk about <laughs> yeah. the the biggest change on our tier list. And we're still in the no shots. The Dolphins at 27. This is a team that Dave, you and I both talked about in multiple episodes having high expectations for the dolphins and you know being optimistic about how they'd been looking like in the off season how they're looking at the end of last season you know the coaching staff the draft the like free agent acquisitions we were boasting it all we were like oh look out for this team maybe draft some of these guys on your fantasy team and we put them we literally put them as Super Bowl hopefuls. They've dropped 14 spots into the no shot because they have been the biggest disappointment in the NFL. Yeah, and you know they they've lost Tua for some of their games, um, but it, they just look like, like a completely different team. I mean, we've talked about Brian Flores as being one of the better head coaches in the NFL over the past couple of years with the job that he's done. But this year it's like all of that just went in reverse and all of a sudden it's a completely different guy. Uh, the Dolphins just look dysfunctional. All of their, you know, pretty much all of their free agent acquisitions have not worked out. Um, they're, you know, bringing Xavier Howard back. He has not been able to repeat the season that he had last year. And I mean, Jalen Waddle has been okay. Uh, but other than that, it's been a pretty terrible year. I mean, they're right now they have a worse record than the Jets in that division, and they are at the bottom of the AFC East. It's just been a horrible year for Dolphins fans, and go to go from a Super Bowl hopeful dropping all the way to the no shots. That's pretty tough. So sorry to Dolphins fans out there. Uh, hopefully this year can just be a, like a lost year and you can regroup and have a better year next year, but it's not going to happen in 2021. 
Now, moving on to number 26. Still in the no shots, we've got the Chicago Bears. They only moved down one spot from where we had them in the preseason. Um, the combination of guys they rolled out there, Andy Dalton was Andy Dalton. Uh, he gets, quote, injured. Uh, and then Justin Fields comes in. And it's been a mixed bag. Um, he's shown what he can do with his legs. They've had a couple of okay performances, but in general, the Bears have been a disappointing team offensively, especially Matt Nagy needs to go. Uh, their offensive play calling is uh, very vanilla, and um, their defense hasn't really been able to keep them in the, you know, in the games either. This might be a sore spot for Mike, uh, but Allen Robinson has pretty much been invisible this year. Uh, they lost David Montgomery as well, although Khalil Herbert's come in at running back and looked really good, to be honest. But that offensive line is terrible. Justin Fields running for his life. Uh, it's just a mess in Chicago. You took the words right out of my mouth when you said Matt Nagy needs to go. There, there are breakdowns after every single week where it's just that like, not only is the offensive line getting beat, from a talent perspective, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what plays they're supposed to be running. They don't know what blocking scheme they're supposed to be using. That's coaching. Like the there is some talent there that can be improved improved upon, but every year that Matt Nagy is there is a waste of time. He's got to be gone this summer. He should have been gone last summer. I think we said at the time that we did our first tier list that this was going to be a prove it year for Matt Nagy. And I think it has been, he's proven that he does not belong in Chicago and probably does not belong in the head coaching position of any team. Couldn't agree more. Now moving on to the last team in our no shots or the best of the no shots. It's the New York giants. Now the New York giants actually went up a couple spots uh, from our preseason tier list. Uh, they were 27, and now they're at 25. And it's been another lost year for Saquon Barkley. Uh, for the Giants, they've also had, I mean, they've dealt with a ton of injuries to their receiver room as well. I mean, Sterling Shepard's been out. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, uh, Evan Ingram was out at, you know, at the tight end position. I think Darius Slayton missed some games too. Like literally like all of their, receivers and their top running back have been and their top tight end have missed time it's not like the Giants defense is going to keep them in the games um, the fact that they have three wins is kind of surprising with all the injuries that they've dealt with I think they've actually done an okay job considering all of that adversity that they've had to overcome but they're still in the no shots they're not winning the Super Bowl this year also, if you're a Giants fan, how many times do you have to hear Dave Gettleman say, we're going to build up the offensive line and then watch him not build up the offensive line? <laughs> you know, the, the Giants have had some good games. Kadarius Toney went absolutely ballistic in one game. And we have like these just freak performances that lead them to three wins. Congratulations. You're the best of the no shots. You still have no shot. Sorry. Going to the worst of our long shots. The longest shot, if you will. Staying in the NFC least, the Eagles. This is right where we had them the first time. Number 24. Jalen Hurts has had some good performances. 
He's had some bad performances. Devontae Smith has had some good performances. He's had some bad performances. The Eagles defense has had some good and bad performance. Miles Sanders has like pick any player unit, whatever on this roster, you can say that exact same thing for. And usually it's not all happening in the same week. A couple of games that look amazing. Nick Sirianni does not look like he's ready to be an NFL head coach. The play speaking of bad play calling, like it got, it got to the point, and you know, Philly fans are what they are, but every time they ran the ball, the the Eagles fans just cheered like crazy to try to be like, yes, we need to run the ball more than freaking five times a game. Like Miles Sanders wasn't even playing, it seemed like. And for whatever reason, with a receiver room that's led by Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager, and freaking they trade Zach Ertz away, they're throwing the ball like 40 times a game. It doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, Javon Hargrave on the Eagles defensive line has had a really good season. But overall, you know, we've seen some some decline from it. Like you said, it's just inconsistent play from the Eagles, um, which is kind of what we're used to seeing from them. And the thing about their, their play calling, and this is just to go on a little tangent to address like a bigger issue in the NFL. It used to be that if you drafted a, a player – usually a quarterback, but this will apply to receiver as well. Especially like early on in the draft, you gave that player a year or two to develop, year three, year four. Those are the sort of like prove it years. Let's see what we got. But years one and two are sort of like, we're going to like let him grow in the system. And there's a long list of quarterbacks that have found success that way. But now, like the last really decade or so, it's been the opposite where if you draft a quarterback in the first round or, you know, you have a young player that looks to be the franchise player, you just kind of throw him out to the wolves right away. And if he balls out, then he's your franchise player. And if not, then you kind of discard him. The Eagles seem to be doing that with both Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. Like, well, we got these two young star or these two young guys that could be stars. Let's just you know, baptism by fire, we're going to make Jalen Hurts, like you said, throw 40, 45 times a game. We're not going to give them the the security blanket of a dependable run game. Everyone knows we're going to throw it. Can they overcome anyway? And that's not fair to young players. No, it's definitely not. Now, moving on to number 23, we've got the Panthers. They moved up three spots. Apparently, Sam Darnold's got a fracture of his shoulder blade or something so he's going to miss a few weeks but it's not like him missing time is really going to make the Panthers any worse after after a pretty decent start to the season for for whatever reason he was leading their team in rushing touchdowns um, kind of going crazy like he's been terrible but they did get McCaffrey back this past week um, and their defense is always pretty solid so um, Panthers we put them in the long shots. Realistically, they're probably not winning the Super Bowl, but um, the fact is they're still not too far out of a playoff spot right now. And they still have some pretty decent pieces. Although, <clears throat> Robbie Anderson has been absolutely terrible. <laughs> As we're going through this, I feel like we're. I'm not intentionally doing this, but like I keep pointing out players <laughs> who are underperforming who just so happen to be have been drafted by Mike and his fantasy football team. <laughs> just 
to cl- specify real quick, Alan Robinson, trash. Robbie Anderson, trash. Don't worry. I'm not still holding on to Robbie Anderson. I'm not like in denial. Miles Sanders, we just talked about the Eagles' stupid play calling. I have literally renamed my fantasy team. I don't know if you saw it. I've renamed it Hot Garbage. And Hot is a bit generous. You won last week. You beat a guy who was like 6-2 and or something. Yeah, it was miraculous. I appreciated it. It allowed me to like go clear at 7-2 and as the best team in the league. To to keep it all short, this is the clear and away worst season I've ever had in fantasy football. It's kind of sad. Um, and I have two words for you. Consolation bracket. I'm winning that consolation trophy. Dave, you can have the you can have the championship and I'll take the consolation and then I'll come back next year. Moving on to a team that's probably not winning the championship. Atlanta Falcons. Hey, we got one this year. It's not getting greedy. It'd be selfish to ask for the Super Bowl as well. Uh, We have the Falcons at 22. And this is one spot down from where we had them in the preseason. And just to have a little flashback, when we talked about them, we were like, is this too high? Are we being too optimistic for the Falcons? And it turns out, not really. I mean... Keep them like temper your expectations at 22. We're not saying like, Oh, watch out here. They come, but (laughs) the NFC is pretty open in terms of like those two wildcard spots and one, the the second wildcard spot, I uh, should say. Yeah, that's, that's better. And it's possible for the Falcons to do it right now. If, you know, if if the Falcons win and the Saints lose, the Falcons would somehow be in that second wild card spot, which is just kind of crazy to think about. But I mean, realistically, the Falcons aren't going to win the Super Bowl, but they are within shouting distance of a playoff spot right now. So I feel like that kind of deserves long shots. But in my opinion, even though they're they, they're down one spot on our tier list, I feel like they've actually done better than I expected, which is kind of a paradox, but either way, yeah, Falcons at number 22. And shout out Cordero Patterson. He's had a surprisingly good year for us. Yeah, how about that? Um, Now moving to number 21, we've got the 49ers. They're down three spots. Uh, They were still a long shot um, in our preseason tier list, which I think actually a lot of people had the 49ers a bit higher uh, than, than that. But we had a lot of questions about the quarterback situation, about the defense, and I think those concerns were valid. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been great when he's been on the field. Trey Lance has been a guy who runs a lot and um, can't, you know, have flashes as a passer, but generally speaking, doesn't really look NFL ready. And as always, the 49ers are dealing with injuries. The George Kittle's been out. I feel I feel like, you know, their running back room, there's always at least two guys who are injured at any given time. Debo Samuel has had an amazing year uh, at the receiver position, though. 
Um, shout out to him. And the defense has been pretty bad, let's be honest. Um, I mean, they are <clears throat> they're three and five right now, and with how well the Cardinals and the Rams are doing in that division, it's going to be tough for them to uh, kind of make a comeback this year. So they're in, at the long shots at number twenty one. At number twenty, we've got the Broncos. That's three spots up from number twenty three, where we had them to start. I mean, look no further than the fact to like to me, you should look no further than the fact that they just traded away Von Miller. They're basically like franchise linebacker for the past like what ten, eleven years. Seems like forever. Uh, to the Rams, to me that says, hey. We're not really trying to compete this year. Yeah, they they know that they're pretty mediocre, to be honest. <clears throat> I will say, shout out to Javante Williams, their rookie running back. They need to give that man the ball more often because my man runs hard and he breaks tackles like, honestly, like very few backs in the league. I've been very impressed with him. He was a guy who I was looking at the Falcons to target in the second round, but of course, that didn't happen. But... They need to give that man the ball. That's all I'm saying. Number 19, we've got another big mover. We've got the Seattle Seahawks here. They're down nine spots from where they were at the beginning of the season. And, you know, when you lose Russell Wilson, this is what happens. Especially when you have Geno Smith to replace him. Which, to be fair, Geno actually hasn't been as bad as I would have thought. But still, I mean... The Seahawks, their defense isn't quite what it used to be. Their running game has struggled. Chris Carson's dealt with some injuries as well. He's he went on IR. Um, you know their their receiver duo of Metcalf and Lockett has been pretty good still. But you know when you lose Russell Wilson, what are you going to do? And same as the 49ers, they're three and five, and in that division, it's going to be tough to come back. I think initially we had said. Um... Russell Wilson gives the Seahawks a puncher's chance. And yeah, like you said, without Wilson, they don't have as that much of a chance. Uh, going to number 18, we have the Colts, who are down two spots from our preseason list. And let me just say about the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, you mentioned wanting Javante Williams, like wanting the Falcons to draft him. I was huge on Taylor coming out of college a couple years back. And here we go, another running back that the Falcons didn't draft. But he's second in rushing yards in the NFL behind only Derrick Henry, who's injured. Jonathan Taylor will almost or is likely going to lead the league in rushing. And he's been electric. Yeah, and he hasn't really gotten as many opportunities. I mean, he he's not really getting twenty carries a game. Um the Colts had a terrible start to the season, but they've really turned it on in the past few games. Michael Pittman uh, has really stepped into his role as the number one receiver there as well. But yeah, I mean, the Colts, they, they have the talent. Uh, Carson Wentz, as long as he doesn't do make terrible decisions with the football. I know Mike especially was really tearing into Carson Wentz in, in the, the preseason tier list. I feel like he hasn't played that bad, but he's definitely lost them a couple of games with his poor play and poor decision-making. So the Colts are the shortest of the long shots. Does that make sense? Uh, whatever. They're number 18. And now we're going into our Super Bowl hopefuls. And at number 17, we've got the Vikings. Now, 
the Vikings are definitely, if they were in the AFC, they're in the long shots for sure. But because they're in the NFC, you know, they're three and five right now, but they still have a chance to get back into the race for the, the playoff spots or for that wild card spot, I should say. Uh, they've kind of had a disappointing season. I mean, Dalvin Cook has had has dealt with some injuries. Of course he has. This is what happens every year. Come on, Dalvin, just stay healthy for once. Uh, but Vikings have just lost a bunch of close games. Um, it's been kind of brutal, to be honest. And, you know, in a different world, they could have been five and three or even six and two just if they'd come up clutch or if their kicker hadn't made a field goal or whatever. They've lost in overtime twice already this year. And if they can just figure out how to close games, then I, I feel like this is a team that could definitely compete for yeah, maybe not maybe not a Super Bowl, I guess, but definitely get there in the playoffs and then, you know, who knows what would happen. But Mike Zimmer. The heat is on him right now. If the Vikings don't pick it up, then he's probably gone. Yeah, it's just rough to see your team consistently lose close games because that's something that really makes you look at the coaching. But at number 16, we got the Cincinnati Bengals. That's a big move, up 12 spots from 28 where we had them initially. They've dropped back-to-back against the Jets and Browns. But they're still five and four. They have, I mean, looking at before that, before those two games, they had a big win against the Ravens, forty-one to seventeen. Uh, they lost to the Packers earlier in the year, but only by three in overtime. They have a win against the Steelers. Oh, and that that game against the Packers, they lost in overtime too. By the way, one of the craziest games I've ever seen. If you haven't, look up the highlights of that game because uh, I guess I'll spoil it now. Pause it and then go watch it and then like play this again. But they just miss field goal after field goal after field goal, both at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime. Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson is going back and forth, blowing it. And then Evan McPherson, the Bengals kicker, thinks that he's won them the game. And like start celebrating just for the kick to like hook and not make it. And then he just looks like an idiot. And then the Packers ended up winning. It was just it was just so ridiculous watching that game. It was it was crazy. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But just to say a positive another positive about the Bengals, Jamar Chase has been going off. Uh that chemistry with Joe Burrow, uh that like all the hype that we had on him around draft time. As going to be as going to be the best receiver coming out of the draft, at least like initially, that that's rain true. He has been on one. Yeah, and you know the Bengals' offensive line has been a lot better than we thought. Um, it's really come together, and that's I think that's the reason. Uh, obviously, and Joe Burrow coming back and you know looking just like he did before the injury. Um, that, that th- those are the reasons why the Bengals are, are here right now. So shout out to them for really overperforming ex- their expectations, or at least our expectations for them. Now going into number 15, we've got the New Orleans Saints, who the Falcons beat. Um, the, the Saints are up four from where we had them. 
and they've moved up from long shots to hopefuls. And the Saints are a, are a weird team. I don't really know what to expect from them for the rest of the season. I mean, right now they would be the second playoff team or the second wild card team in the NFC. But you know, they lost Jameis Winston for the year. We don't really know who's going to be quarterback. Is it going to be Trevor Simeon? Is it going to be Taysom Hill when he comes back? Uh, not not really sure what to expect there. And their receivers are still like motley crew of guys. Michael Thomas isn't going to play at all this year. Uh, but the the Saints' defense has really been been good. So you know, if they can just get some consistent play from their quarterback position, uh, then the defense and Alvin Kamara can probably carry them to some wins. Now let's sort of go in the opposite direction with number 14 up six spots from before the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr is having a good year and I think he inspires belief despite everything else about the Raiders that does the exact opposite. And we'll mention more of that later on in the episode. But if you just read the headlines, you're going to think really poorly of the Raiders. But that man, Derek Carr, is working to keep them um, to keep them alive. Yeah, and they've had to overcome a lot of adversity this year, but they've really bonded together um, and kind of used that as motivation. So shout out to them for, I think, overperforming our expectations for them and a lot of people's expectations for them in that AFC West division. And shout out Hunter Renfro as well. He's been having a great year as well for them. Yeah, very true. Uh, Moving to number 13, we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers down one spot from where we had them before. You know, somehow the Steelers are five and three. They don't look like that great of a team, but they, they know how to win games. Uh, So they've got to be in the Super Bowl hopefuls. Mike Tomlin, he knows how to put together a team, and the Steelers are just one of those teams that are always going to be competitive, I feel like. Speaking of, at number 12, we've got the New England Patriots. So what were, you, what were we saying about the Steelers? Hey, great coach that somehow always makes them competitive and helps them win games. Look at Bill Belichick. There we go. Man still winning games despite like not having Tom Brady. We... uh. We had them at 14 when we did the preseason tier list because of Belichick. And I think that that has, I think we've been proven right in that regard. Yeah, I think the Patriot, Mac Jones has looked pretty impressive. Uh, Arguably the best rookie quarterback, which I don't think anybody would have expected. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots, like you said, they find ways to stay competitive. And that's through the details and, and the defense that Bill Belichick puts out there every week. Now, moving on to number 11, we've got the Cleveland Browns. And I think some people actually had the Browns a lot higher than than we did. We started them at number nine in our tier list to start off the season, so they're down by two. Uh, but the Browns have really been up, up and down this year. Uh, Baker Mayfield's been playing hurt. Odell Beckham is now gone. Jarvis Landry's been injured again. Kareem Hunt's on IR. Nick Chubb has missed time. I mean, th- this is another team that's dealt with a lot of injuries to their skill position players. And kind of from week to week, it depends on how well the defense plays, to be honest. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has actually had kind of a nice season for them. Um, 
like excited about that Michigan guy. But um, yeah, the Browns, I'm not really sure what to expect from them. They've got a lot of talent, of course, but will they be able to pull it all together? And can Baker Mayfield step up his play even while playing hurt? I'll say the same thing that I said last time we did this. They have a talented roster. I just kind of want to see, like, will they, will that materialize in the playoffs for more than like a game? Uh, next up, we have the Chargers at number 10, also down two slots from before. And I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what I'm getting from the Chargers on a week to week basis. Like, Similar situation to the Browns, really. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers have had kind of a an up-and-down season, like you said. I mean, they had that big game where they beat the Chiefs early on. Well, that was a big statement win for them. Justin Herbert played amazingly well. But then, like, they got absolutely destroyed by the Ravens 34-6. to And then they lost to the Patriots in a game that, realistically, they should have won. Um, and then they just barely squeaked out a win against the Eagles. Like the Chargers are just one of those teams. We had high hopes for them going into the season, and I think there's you know they're they're still I mean they're, they're number ten in our tier list. They've got a shot, but they're going to really have to step up their game in order to be successful, especially in that division where as of they are recording this. Every team in the AFC West has a winning record. So it's going to be tough to see who ends up on top coming out of that division. All right, so moving on to number nine. This is one of the more dramatic moves. We have the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a team that we had at number two before. We had them as one of the Super Bowl favorites. We on paper had a a rematch of the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. And this is they've been shockingly bad. Or at least like worse than we would expect, right? Looking at Patrick Mahomes, through nine games he's thrown twenty touchdowns and ten interceptions. And as a point of reference, in the last two seat in the last in the two previous seasons he threw six and five interceptions over the entire season. He's already thrown 10, and we're like halfway through. To be fair, I feel like every game, one of his receivers doesn't catch the ball and ends up getting intercepted. But still, he's taking a lot of risks, and he's always taken a lot of risks at quarterback, and now some of those risks really aren't paying off. Um, Also, I mean... Mahomes struggles are valid, but like the Chiefs' defense is also just like horrible. Um, yeah. One of probably one of the worst defenses in the AFC, if not in the entire league, so far. They have some talent there, but for whatever reason, it's just not clicking. And also, the Chiefs' offense isn't putting the defense in good situations because they are turning the ball over so much. So. I don't really know what's going on with the Chiefs. I believe that Andy Reid knows how to, you know, figure this out. And Patrick Mahomes, of course, has the talent. But yeah, I mean, they drop two um two tiers from favorites to hopefuls. And 
until we see more from them, I don't think we can call them contenders. To be fair to them, looking at their division, we got the five and three Chargers, the five and three Raiders, the five and four Chiefs, the five and four Broncos. It's it's anyone's race to win that division, make the playoffs. And once you get in the playoffs, yeah, Patrick Mahomes has the kind of talent that can that can carry them. But that team as a whole, because of that defense, like you said, does not look very convincing to me. No. And now we're going to move on to the contenders. So number eight, the Dallas Cowboys. They're up nine spots from where we had them. Uh, They're at the bottom of the contenders for us this time. They're at the bottom of the hopefuls for us in the preseason. And, you know, I went on and on about Dan Quinn and our preseason tier list and uh, the fact that he should not have been hired. But the Dallas defense has actually been very good. Uh, I don't know what it is about Dan Quinn coming to Atlanta and being absolutely terrible, both calling the defensive plays and you know, being the head coach, just horrible job overall. But it's working with Dallas. Um, his use of Micah Parsons has been on point. And, you know, even though Dak has been injured, they've still managed to win a lot of their games. You know, Ezekiel Elliott's looked better than he has in the past couple of years. Tony Pollard's been good. And of course, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and, you know, Dalton Schultz has come out of nowhere to be one of the better tight ends, receiving tight ends in the league so far. Uh, So, you know, shout out to the Cowboys. They've exceeded expectations. Um, Right now, they're 6-2. and They are coming off of a pretty terrible loss to the Broncos, 30-16, to but overall, they've still been a pretty impressive team and looked destined for the playoffs. That's even after having dropped Jalen Smith, which was well, shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really need him, which is interesting because, <laughs> like, they're stacked at the linebacker position. But, yeah, I mean, friggin', oh, we got to talk about Trayvon Diggs. Like, this dude is on one right now. <laughs> That's been one of the more, like, crazy performances of, of the season out of any player to me. It's like, oh, it's just an, another another game, another week, another interception for this guy. Like, it's just, he's been on another level for them. Um, probably defensive player of the year so far in my book. I would agree. I would be shocked if he didn't, at least, you know, at this point at or at this rate. We are only midway through, but right now he has my pick as well for defensive player of the year. Moving to number seven, we've got the Tennessee Titans. This is exactly where we had them to start. Now, it's a bit complicated now that Derrick Henry has been hurt. And he's going to miss substantial time. He's going to miss the rest of the season. And they they signed Adrian Peterson. Now, like, I say this given, like, the the lack of time he had to really like prepare and get into the system and everything. He didn't look bad in his debut. And I think that he can do well in that system. The Titans overall have been really good. 
it's I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see how this team does without Derrick Henry. It makes me sad because you know how much I love Derrick Henry. <laughs> and I think, you know, this team has consistently lived and died with Derrick Henry. How will they do without him? That's what we're gonna find out. Yeah. And you know, AJ Brown has really stepped up, uh, especially I mean he was stepping up even before Henry got injured, but that's going to be a really big key for them. And more than anything else, the defense, especially their pass rush. Harold Landry has been on a tear. Uh, they've been way better the past couple of weeks. And it's going to be a lot more about the defense and A.J. Brown, I think, and Julio, if he can freaking stay healthy. They're going to have to change their kind of their offensive approach, I think. Adrian Peterson, yeah, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. But you're not just going to plug and play Adrian Peterson into the system like Derrick Henry and just expect this similar results. But, I mean, the Titans are 7-2. and two. That's tied for the second best record in the NFL. And, you know, Mike Vrabel is a really good head coach, and I think that the Titans have what it takes to maintain their lead in that division over the Colts. And, you know, once you get to the playoffs, you never know. So... Uh, yeah, they, they're in at number seven on our tier list. At number six, we've got the Baltimore Ravens, also uh, the same spot as they were in our preseason tier list. Ravens are an interesting team. You know, right now they're six and two. Lamar Jackson is just an interesting case. Like, you know that he's he's got that game-breaking running ability. I think this year especially with their really weird running or like running back room that they've got going on with freaking Devontae Freeman and like Le'Veon Bell, that Tyson Williams guy, Latavius Murray. It's like all these kind of cast offs that are like still okay. Um, they've still managed to pull through and win games even without that. Uh, but you know, Lamar is still going to be the key and, there have been games where he's been amazing. There have been games where he struggled. He's going to have to play better the rest of the way. But, you know, the Ravens are still a really well put together team. And, you know, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown have had pretty good seasons um, and kind of stepped up for Lamar as uh, as options, especially Marquise Brown after last year being pretty bad. Um, he stepped up and, and been a much more consistent performer this year. And hey, never thought I'd be able to say this. A good spot on my fantasy team. Wow, who would have thought? Damn. They couldn't have all been busts. Could have fooled me, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go to number five. Travis Kelsey's been good for your team. Yeah. (laughs) Good. It's awesome. At number five, I've got the Packers. We're going to see how all this nonsense with Aaron Rodgers plays out. But if he plays, and if Devontae Adams is playing, there's not a more like lethal quarterback-receiver duo in football. There just isn't. If you want to make the argument for Mahomes and Kelsey, I would say doesn't seem like it this year. 
but that team is deadly when those two guys are playing. Yeah, and the pack the Packers have really run the gauntlet with their schedule this year too. I mean, they faced like a couple of cupcake teams, Washington and the Lions. But other than that, I mean, Saints, Niners, Steelers, Bengals, Bears, Cardinals, Chiefs, like, well, Bears aren't that great. But like all the rest of those teams are really solid. And the fact that they're sitting here at seven and two, and I mean, yes, they lost to the Chiefs, but that's because Jordan Love looked horrible. Um, And they only let the Chiefs score 13 points. That's a good sign for your defense moving forward. So, and AJ Dillon stepped up too in that backfield. So, I don't know. I think the Packers, they can just get over all this COVID-19, all these issues that they've had. Uh, They could be dangerous come playoff time. Definitely. So, at number four, we've got the Cardinals. And they're up seven spots. We didn't even have them in our top ten. But man, have they been balling. Kyler Murray, great season. But he's dealing with an injury right now. DeAndre Hopkins, we all know he's great. Also dealing with an injury. But when this team's healthy, this team can threaten anybody in the NFL. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, and honestly, I think we were actually probably higher on the Cardinals than a lot of people were. Um did we think that they were going to have the best record in the NFL? Absolutely not. But this team's really come together, and that defense especially has come to play this year. And they just have a lot of weapons. I mean, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, Rondale Moore, um, Max Williams is doing well before he got hurt. Now they have Zach Ertz. You know, that's a big addition for them. And, of course, Hopkins. James Conner and Chase Edmonds at running back. That's been a really solid combination. I mean, James Conner just had a freaking three-touchdown game uh, last week. Without Kyler Murray, they still managed to win. I mean, that's impressive stuff. So, yeah, I mean, shout also shout-out Cliff Kingsbury, who nobody talks about. Yeah. But, like, he's done a really good job there. His system's actually working in the NFL. Everybody thought, like, that's kind of a weird hire by the Cardinals, but it's worked out so far, so shout-out to him. Um I think he's really exceeded expectations in the NFL. So now moving into the Super Bowl favorites, we've got at number three, the Buffalo Bills. So they have gone up one spot. We had them at four going into the year. And the Bills, to us, look like the best team in the AFC right now. Um, I think they aren't necessarily better than the Cardinals, and maybe they aren't even better than the Packers. But... If we're talking about favorites for the Super Bowl, then we've got to have the best team in the AFC in the conversation. So the the Bills make it. Um, like we mentioned earlier, they did just lose to the Jaguars inexplicably. Uh, but the Bills still have the talent. You know, Josh Allen, the whole Josh Allen versus Josh Allen thing was pretty funny too. Um, the Jaguars, Josh Allen, absolutely dominating the Bills, Josh Allen. But, um, I mean, the Bills have the talent, for sure. And I expect the Bills to be, you know, I think they're the top contender in the AFC. Absolutely. And and I completely agree. I don't think, I don't think that the Bills are better than the 
Cardinals or the Packers. But there's so many good NFC teams and not as many good AFC teams. The Bills would just, like being in the AFC, would just give them an easier run to the Super Bowl. And and so it, they are more likely, in our minds, to get to the Super Bowl than the Cardinals without having to be a better team than them. But at number two, we've got the Rams. And they're up three spots from number five, where we had them before. Matthew Stafford is doing well out there. He has developed fantastic chemistry with Cooper Cup, who's been balling out all year. On my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can tell he's on your fantasy team because he's doing well. <laughs> Not only well, he's literally been, I feel like, the best. I'm pretty sure he, he's been the best player in fantasy football this entire year. Mm. And arguably, he's been the best receiver in football in general this year. It's been crazy. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. And they are getting good performances as well from like uh, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson. Their defense is playing well for the most part. This team, I mean, they just picked up Vaughn Miller. This team typically is clicking on all cylinders. Uh, obviously, that's going to bode well for their postseason success as long as they can keep it up. And this will be... Matt Stafford's opportunity. I mean, he's been showing that he can win games in the right environment. Can that translate to the playoffs? Because he doesn't have a playoff uh, career playoff win under his belt. And this can be his opportunity to get not just his first win, but heck, maybe a ring. The one caveat that I do have about the Rams is that they have had a pretty soft schedule so far. And that doesn't really change the rest of the year. Uh, But all all you can do is beat who's in front of you. And for the most part, the Rams have done that. And by significant margins, like they are not letting off the gas when they're facing these bad teams. And that's to me is a, is a sign of a really good team. I don't know. The Rams have also just been really fun to watch too. And, you know, Daryl Henderson has been a revelation on the ground for them. You know, they lost Cam Akers before the season, but Henderson's come in and done a good job. Sony Michelle. Uh, has chipped in there too. But yeah, the Rams have been really solid and they move up to our number two contender. But number one, it's still the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, we had them at number one at the end of, you know, last season, of course, because they won the Super Bowl. Nothing really changed for them. Um, But even with all of the injuries that they've dealt with in their defensive backfield, they have continued to win games. Tom Brady is having an amazing season, also on my fantasy team. Um, and, I mean, he's been fantastic. Leonard Fournette has looked a lot better. Uh, and freaking Antonio Brown, when he's been healthy, uh, has been going off. It just, you know, it's it feels like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, or Antonio Brown all have a, you know, they each taking, are taking turns having a big game. And teams still can't run on the Bucks. They, it's not that they know that they can't, so they don't even try at this point. Um, but Tom Brady, I mean, he had that really, really bad game uh, where he threw a couple of picks at the end of the game to lose it for him. But generally speaking, he's been phenomenal. And the Buccaneers are continuing to roll along. The rest of their schedule looks relatively easy. I think for them, 
So I'm expecting them to to coast into the playoffs and and be ready. And we already know what Tom Brady is like in the playoffs. So for me, they're still number one. And as I've said before, and we'll say again, when we get into the playoffs on a week-to-week basis, there is not a single team that I would bet on beating the Bucks. Or if you prefer, I will never, ever bet against Tom Brady, especially in the playoffs. And when we get to the playoffs, that's who I'm looking at as the consistent force that I think that I would expect to win the Super Bowl. So that wraps up our midseason NFL tier list. We're going to go into the hot seat now, which is going to be pretty crowded. Uh, so stick around. You'll, you're going to want to hear this. We've got some candidates. We've got so damn many people. They're just eager to get on this hot seat that we got to just run through them all. Some in more detail than others. But damn, we just... Uh, okay. Here, I'll start, and then you just kind of chip in. You you can list some too. Let's just go after it. Aaron Rodgers with your COVID nonsense, and oh, I'm immunized and all this shit. Okay, and now you have COVID, and okay, so there's that. There's Aaron Rodgers and his like time on the Pat McAfee show. Yeah. Now there's Nikola Jokic and Markeith Morris shoving each other. Jokic just got suspended. Markeith Morris fined fifty thousand dollars. There's the allegations of racism and misogyny with the Suns owner, Robert Sarver. There's Anaheim Ducks general manager, Bob Murray, put under investigation for workplace misconduct. Neil O'Shea from the Trailblazers. Workplace misconduct investigations. Going back to the NHL, we've got this whole thing with Chicago Blackhawks where one of their players was sexually assaulted by one of their uh, coaching staff uh, way back, I think it was in like 2011, and it was covered up in like all of the like their GM, their the coach, li- like literally all these people knew about it, never reported it, and it's just now coming out, and all these people like are resigning and getting fired, and all this stuff is just ridiculous. Now let's get to some of the bigger ones, the Las <laughs> Vegas Raiders, the, the the bigger ones, like those already weren't big enough. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Let's. How about this? Our our points of emphasis, the ones we're going to talk a little bit more about. The Las Vegas Raiders. I told you earlier we were going to talk more about them. You know, we ended the last episode, or towards the end of the last episode, I had said, "Hey, by the way, John Gruden is shitty." Well, it doesn't end there. So after all that stuff with the coaching. Now we have Henry Ruggs going to go to prison, uh, driving while under the influence, causing the death of another person in uh, this uh, in this accident, and then like not even a week later, we have Damon Arnett. Oh my goodness! If you haven't watched this freaking video yet, he's this. He posts this video on social media, which that shouldn't even be, that should be fictional. Like, let me describe this video real quick. He, he says, I will real deal kill you, insert racial expletive, over and over 
talking about a fan who's apparently like, or not a fan, but like, you know, someone else uh, who's apparently like f- five miles out or something. And he's like, yeah, pull up. I will kill you. And during this video, he brandishes not one, not two, but three guns. And I'm no gun expert, but one was like a, like a Uzi or something. Uh, one was a pistol and then one was a, a bigger gun than that. I'll tell you that. And like points him at the camera and he's like, you know, it would be smart if I post this on my social media, you know, growing up, we were taught, Hey, don't post stupid stuff online. It might interfere with your ability to keep or to get or keep a job. And that was usually stuff like, Hey, don't say like, Oh, I like drinking or, you know, stupid stuff. Not this dude. And what's really wild Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett were their t- were like their two first round draft picks in the 2020 NFL draft. And that just has worked out horrendously now for them. Yeah, I mean the Raiders like this has just been a tough year overall for them. Like it it's their first year in their new stadium, you know, which is, you know, amazing in Las Vegas. For what happens in Vegas? Bruh. And this is this is what people were saying when like when Oakland when the Raiders moved to Las Vegas it's like th- there're going to be even more temptations and more distractions for these players than there were in, in in any other city. You know, like what it's kind of bad but like what did you expect to happen? Like the a lot of these guys, I mean Damon Arnett, Henry Ruggs, these are like young men who obviously don't have the the critical thinking or decision-making skills. And like, you know, at least Damon Arnett didn't actually shoot somebody. Henry Ruggs actually killed someone because of his poor decision-making and now is going to go to prison for it. Raiders front office, I don't know, (laughs) y'all struck out in this 2020 draft. Um, and you know, this, these guys, Damon Arnett, Henry Ruggs, like, it's just a sad situation for sure. Um, moving on to the other point of emphasis, this is going to be a little more lighthearted after us running through all, all of these tragic situations. We need a breather. Yeah, we need a breather. So, and you know, we can always rely on the good folks at PETA for this. So in case you haven't heard, PETA is pitching Major League Baseball to retire the term bullpen and use arm barn instead. And the reason for this, and let me read this quote from their executive vice president, Tracy Ryman. Words matter and baseball bullpens devalue talented players and mock the misery of sensitive animals. We encourage Major League Baseball coaches, announcers, players, and fans to change up their language and embrace the arm barn instead. That is dumb as shit. <laughs> like, are they are they worried about like these bulls being offended? Bulls don't talk. Like this isn't back at the barnyard. Like this isn't a, a kids movie. Like and also Here's the problem. This, let's say like this generation or recent generations gets a lot of shit for being like, according to some people, easily offended. 
right? And then PETA comes out and does and says shit like this. And this is contributing to that reputation of like, oh, everything is like overly PC. Like the more dumb stuff you say like this, the easier it is to dismiss the serious stuff. And PETA, I think that as an organization certainly started with the right intentions. How are you expecting to be taken seriously when you say stuff like this? Like now you could make a really, really good point like a year from now about like, you know, the mistreatment of like chickens and chicken coops or something. And someone will be like, isn't this the same group that thought bulls were offended by the phrase bullpen? Yeah, we don't take you seriously. There are plenty of animals out there dealing with real animal problems. I'm sure you can focus on something more important. But it's time for us to focus on something else as well. And that's Dave's fun fact of the episode. What do we got this week? All right. So you're probably familiar with Elon Musk. You know, obviously founder of Tesla. Billionaire. Not not just one billion, though. His wealth hit $270 billion at the start of November, cementing him as Earth's richest person. But he's not the richest person in history. Of course, adjust, this is adjusting for inflation. But Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar, his net worth hit an estimated $4.6 trillion dollars. Way back in, you know, those times, whenever that was. $4.6 trillion. I guess all of those freaking taxes that he was putting on were contributing to that. But my goodness. That's insane. For any kids listening, maybe you should want to be an emperor when you grow up. Because that shit is lucrative. Do you know how much Panda Express you could buy? (laughs) You could just, like, have... I mean, at that point, you could literally have anything you wanted. Like, you could just have somebody on standby making orange chicken. And, like, so just so you'll have fresh orange chicken at all times, like 24 hours a day. In in movies and stuff when they have, like, the emperor or whatever and someone feeding him grapes. It would just be someone feeding me, like, orange chicken. Like, yes, (laughs) I I hunger again. Here's a billion dollars. Feed me one shit. <laughs> you get paid a, a billion dollar salary and you don't even notice. Now that you've made me feel completely inadequate about how much money I make. I mean, I'm not sitting here feeling any different. So. I think this is a good time to, to wrap up the show. I think show. this is a good time to ask for somebody to sponsor us. <laughs> Please, I want more Panda Express. Hey, Panda Express, are you listening? Mike is your number one fan. I mean, honestly, it's nothing for me to plug y'all some more. Let's let's partner up. Also, can I get a restaurant a little bit closer to to me? Because I don't want to have to drive like an hour just to get Panda Express. Mike's in like, you know what they call people who love Panda Express? Fandas. Mike's the number one fanda. 
I'll claim that. Shoot, bro. It's Make like that my uh, my Instagram bio and everything. It's like fan like Fanda orange, like orange chicken. Fan- Don't you wanna wanna Fanda? <laughs> Fanda orange. Okay. Anyways, so so it's been your boy Mike, the number one Fanda. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Um, as always, we hope that you'll interact with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. We'd love to hear your, your thoughts about the, our new NFL tier list. How do you think your team's doing? How do you think your team will continue to do and share in our excitement about our Atlanta Braves championship? Yeah, boy. That's what I'm talking about, man. Let's go. I'm still pumped about it. You know, thanks for listening. This is episode 15. And, you know, we're still going strong. We're still, you know, really enjoying making these uh, these episodes for you guys. So make sure, if you haven't already, uh, to give us, uh, you know, five-star rating or review um, on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or any of those. And um, make sure you're following the podcast as well. And also, um, I'll just shout out that we are also on SoundCloud. Uh, if you search the Mike and Dave podcast, if you want to listen to us there as well, we have some people listening to us over there, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to plug that and yeah, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you as always. This has been Mike and this has been Dave and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. Go Braves, baby. Let's go. Alexander on the field.